Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast. Excited to be back in your ear. And there is a ton going on in the world. A lot of heaviness, a lot of chaos, a lot of turmoil, a lot of all the things. And so I want to meet you in that and, and just find some sense of peace in this moment. You know, and no matter when you're listening to this episode, that will likely be true that there's chaos. I remember talking to a friend of mine about that and her saying that, you know, it's really just making what is already implicit. So what lives below the surface, the beliefs, the thoughts, the anger, the fear, whatever it is, and making it explicit. And that's not to minimize it or dismiss it or bypass uh, what's occurring, but rather to say, what do we do with it? It's being invited to heal. And that's like when triggers come up relationally or, you know, um, that happens from uh, systems that we operate in or government or um, corruption or whatever it is. It's all so that we can find resolution, so that we can build bridges, but we seem to be building a lot of walls. And we could see that collectively, but I don't know that we see that often within ourselves, within the individual. You know that you're caught up in an ideology or or a space of sides when you're othering. When you're like, that person's an all-left or all-right or QAnon or they're anti-vax or they're pro-poison. You know, like when we're starting to label, we're not able to take in information. And it doesn't matter what side, you're allowed to have beliefs and values and thoughts. Those are all really important to align to. But can you have them and allow other ones to exist? This seems to be a perpetual important conversation, which is how do we become objective? How do we sit in the space between two things? How, oh, it's such an art, such an art, especially with fueling conversations, especially with all the uncertainty. And I really think it's, from the space of fear of death, ultimately. It is like fear of our own death. Fear of even going down that path of exploring it. We're always on the edge of it. And so the ignoring of it or the not turning towards it doesn't actually make the truth not real anymore. It actually makes us where we have to live in a world where we're not in touch with it. Where it's not sitting in the car like it always is. We're pretending it's not even in the car. And so when you can go down the path of exploring death, you unlock so much creativity. You unlock so much of it because you really start to ask yourself, like, what do I have to lose in starting that thing and living my passion and stepping into a purpose? I was speaking about all the businesses that are closing. And I have a friend who made a really good point said, you know, it is obviously, um, you know, really sad, all the closings that are occurring in the businesses that are changing. And he said, these people are creative people. These are people who are resilient. And who knows what will be born from that space that they have to create. And that's a real hard, I have to say, that's a hard space to hold with all the job losses, all the things that are occurring but it is true if there's like a touch of hope or or possibility, it's what will be born from this. And I think when anything is in its space of shuffling up, of of shaking the systems of whatever, when it's in the actual chaos where the thing is broken and it's shattered on the floor, you don't see the beauty of what's being constructed. You don't see the possibility of what's actually going to become, which maybe better, likely will be, always is, than what was. And that's a, a a really challenging space to hold, is the bridge between what is ending and what is becoming. Because in that space, you're processing the grief, and it's fearful to hold on to possibility because we're afraid we might have to grieve again. And so we'll often leave ourselves in this space of just mourning and never allowing our hearts to open again, never allowing possibility open again. So yeah, deep breaths for all the transitions that are occurring. Wherever you're at, I want to meet you there and just say, let's keep going. 
Let's move through this. Let's keep healing. Let's keep supporting one another. Let's find space for compassion and grace for ourselves, for all the feelings and thoughts and all the challenges we're having as we navigate this. Let's continue to create. Let's continue to expand. Let's continue to heal. Let's continue to become. Let's continue to take up more space. Let's continue to use our voices. Let's continue to fight for what's right for each other. And I think there's no better way to do that than to give birth to all of ourselves, to heal the things that are within us that are coming up through what's going on in our lives and in in the world. And also to give birth to our passions and our purpose further, more, right? Because, you know, I certainly feel like I'm living within my passion and my purpose, but it continues to evolve. So I can't stay in the thing I started. It has to keep shifting as I do, as I mature, as my thoughts mature, as my experience does, as I want to fight for different things. And you got to listen to the call, because if you don't, mm, it meets you. It will always come calling back, you know? It's like you can't deny the truth. Because if you do, you live in a world where the truth doesn't exist. You have to ignore it, right? And I've said before that you can't like turn down your life 10% in one area and expect it to be turned up to 100 in every other. So let's turn it up. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating. And that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions. Questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that when I get feedback on asking questions, people say, that's too hard to ask, or it's too soon to ask that, or whatever the excuse or thought, or feeling, or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left, that's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. I'm really excited for today's episode because we're going to be talking about life purpose. And... Before we do that, please, wherever you listen to this podcast, subscribe to it, give it a five-star review, a written review, so you don't miss any episodes, and please share this if it's helpful for you. Uh, Share it on your channels, tag me, let me know so I can give it a reshare. And yeah, I'm really excited for this guest today. It's a returning guest. She is incredible, so passionate about her work. Her name is Sahara Rose. And so without further ado, let's get to it. Today, I'm excited to have a returning guest, the best-selling author, I love, well, and star podcast creator, host, but this is my favorite, Ancient Soul in a Modern Body. Is that correct? That's the right way to... That's me. I love it. (laughs) Sahara Rose, welcome to the podcast. 
Uh, I always love chatting with you so much. You're just so fun. I remember when I walked up to you at Wanderlust Hawaii, I was like, let's talk forever. So I'm so excited to be here. I feel the same way. We both had so much fun in previous episodes that we've done on each other's platforms. So I'm excited because you have a new book. And I think this book is very topical to uh, what is going on for sure from a collective experience, which always boils down uh, to the individual, which is uh, how to discover your dharma. And so for people listening, because they're like, uh, discover your what? So what is Dharma and and maybe tell us what this book is about and we can get into the details. Mm, yeah. So your Dharma is your soul's purpose. It's just the big reason why you are here. It's like your mission statement, right? Like for you, I mean, it's something along the lines of you're here to help people relate better to each other and themselves, or someone may be here to bring beauty to this world or to connect people back to their bodies, et cetera. So it's that overall big purpose. And more than what you do, it's how you do it. So it's that essence, that energy, that frequency that you bring to the table that can then translate to different roles, careers, jobs, projects, etc. But your dharma is that overarching umbrella of how you do everything. And then underneath it, there are many different ways that it can fit. So when we think about being able to live our, our purpose, our, our dharma, I'm sure for people listening, that maybe some of them are in corporate jobs. And so is it about finding a job that does that? Is it about um, creating your own business that does that? Or is it a bit of everything? What does it look like? Yeah. So most of us are going to have to have some sort of job, right? There are some people that don't, but the majority of people do. Now, your dharma is the essence of who you are. It's you living alignment with your truth. It's you sharing your gift. It's you feeling like I'm here on a daily basis or weekly basis, sharing what only I can share, right? And that mm-hmm. might be your data analytical mind, or that could be your knack for making people feel at home or event planning, et cetera, but you're doing it regularly. Now, if you have a job that feels completely out of alignment with your gifts, eventually, the more and more that you get to know yourself, and that's no longer a fit, it feels like you're this jaguar that's like stuck in a cage. And Mm -hmm. that's going to diminish your energy and prevent you from actually doing the things that you love to do. Now you may be in a corporate job that you could actually make a switch. You know, maybe you move to the HR, you know, side of things, or you're able to be more creative, etc. So you still are using your your natural strengths in that corporate sphere. So it doesn't at all mean that everyone needs to be an entrepreneur or be in the limelight or start their own businesses, but it does require you to feel like you're being honored for who you are. I love that. I think about my own experience of being a sales rep as a farmer rep and then having a relationship and experiencing the pain from that, wanting to learn more about them, and then feeling this call of like, I want to teach these things. I would, I was listening to it, like studying and doing all the things that I needed to learn for myself. But I remember there being this point where like the old job had to die for me to fully step into and into this work. And I relate to what you said that you become like a jaguar in a cage. It felt like if I said yes, I remember my boss saying to me, I gave my notice and we were very close. And she said to me, look, can you just stay? It was April 1st. And she said, can you stay till June? And I like felt in my body and I was like, oh my God, no, if I do that, I can feel a part of me will die. Or I might, like I could feel this, that there would be an abandonment of self. So I, I definitely relate to what you're saying. Mm, yes. And I break it down to these five stages we go through for Dharma embodiment. So Dharma embodiment being you're fully living in alignment with your gifts. So yeah. that's stage one. Yeah. The stage one is just having self-awareness that something needs to change. I see the trajectory in my life is going, something needs to change because I don't like that direction. And it's just that itch that things are feeling a little too tight, too uncomfortable. I don't know where I'm going to go, but I know something needs to shift. And again, not everyone even feels that. Some people just ignore it their whole, their whole lives. But you know, people who are listening to the Mark Groves podcast are, are wanting to learn and improve and grow. So that brings us to stage two. And that's the self-improvement. 
of how can I make myself the best version of me? Learning about the mind, meditation, um, you know, mental hacks, et cetera, the body, fitness, diet, nutrition, exercise. And you may go on this rabbit hole of learning everything about self-help, self-improvement, motivational speakers, Tony Robbins, and like, how can I optimize myself, biohack myself, make myself a better person? Mm-hmm. And this is a really important step that we all have to go through. For myself, it was through my health journey. For someone else, it could be for you know um, a weight loss journey or whatever else. But we need to learn to attend for the physical and mental bodies because we can't just live our dharmas when there's this really big physical indicator that something is wrong. And what Ayurveda teaches us is that our physical imbalances are the direct reflection of what is deeper going on within. So we can actually look at them as cues of what needs to shift within. So we go on this physical and mental journey until we make this observation that I am not a mind and a body to improve. There is nothing wrong with me. But the attention shifts from improving yourself to knowing yourself. And that's when you're like, yeah, I just Mm -hmm." That is good. Yeah, I love that shift, though, of like, that uh because the idea of improving self is there's something wrong with me as opposed to knowing myself which is the uh getting rid of the things that are not you getting rid of the behaviors and all the things that are out of alignment with your dharma with your soul's essence and that makes a lot of sense that certainly has been my experience Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And you realize that you already are whole. You just need to know about yourself more. So you may, you know, go through your spiritual awakening, quote unquote. Maybe you're starting to research more about the subconscious mind or astrology or past lives, ancestors, epigenetics, all of these things to really get to know yourself on a deeper level. And this stage is often the loneliest. Because you may feel like the world around you feels completely just out of alignment with who you are. It can be actually really hard to live in this world. I remember for myself when I was in stage three, I was like, what the hell is wrong with the world? We live in these boxes, like the cubicles, the cars, the shopping malls. And it can really feel like me against the world. And it's this feeling of separation of this world is so fucking crazy. And how am I going to survive in it? So when you hear a lot of people like, we need to ascend, we need to get out. That's really that stage three language. Again, we all need to go through this of of feeling it and to different degrees according to the person. But it's this feeling of the veil shattering before you. And you're like, I don't know how to contain this now. I don't know how I'm going to take this knowledge and, and move forward in this world. And then you find your practices and you find your tools and you find maybe your teachers. Maybe you're super into Zen Buddhism or Tantra or breath work or sound baths or setting boundaries or whatever else. You find your modalities that help you and you find more of an integration with the world around you. So it's no longer me against the world. How am I going to survive? And it's, yeah, this world needs a lot of improvement. And I'm still a part of it. I'm here for a reason. So let me find more balance so I can feel centered and do my part in it. So this is when you tend to deepen. The the practices go deeper. You maybe do courses, trainings, et cetera. And you find your things that really work for you. There's a level of self-awareness there. Now, what's missing in this stage is you can feel like you're living a double life. Who you are at work and then who you are outside of it. And Mm -hmm. often feeling like, you know, at work, I have to like play this role of the sales agent. And then here I am learning all the stuff about relationships. I don't know how this is going to come together, but I do know that there is something out there for me. And it's in that stage that maybe you begin sharing or doing that thing that you're interested in doing, but you're not fully living it yet. But you got to go through there. You got to cultivate it. You have to find your voice, find trust in yourself. And then eventually, instead of you kind of trying to teach or memorize something else, you begin to find your own voice and your own channel and your own special sauce, the way that you express these things. And that's when you begin to shift into that stage five, which is the Dharma embodiment of finding who you are and how you're meant to express. And the big shift that happens between four and five is you shift your consciousness from me to we. So what that really means is in the me state, which we all have to go through, it's really about 
self-care? How, how can I cultivate more practices for myself? How can I know myself? And you got to start with the self. But when it shifts to we, it's I'm doing these things so I can be of service to humanity. Mm. And that really becomes the bigger thing that fuels you. Like for yourself, you're doing your meditation, your practices, because you know if you can show up as your fullest expression, all of the service and the ripple effects that you're having for those that you're showing up for. So it's much more than Mark Groves. It's who Mark Groves can share and express with. So in that stage five, the the Dharma embodiment, you look at all areas of your life and you realize that even one thing holding you back is holding you back from you being of service. So that one weird friendship that you have that's always bringing you down or your relationship not being in alignment, the place that you live, et cetera. And all of these things, it's no longer about just doing it for yourself. It's if this is holding me back, I can't touch lives the way that I meant to. And that can be going really deep with a few people or broad, depending on what your dharma is. So in that stage five, it's like you are being you full time. There is no outer you, inner you. You are just you. And that is possible for every single person. In fact, it's every single person's birthright. I love that. I think of some of the things I say in private where my friend will be like, oh, I remember I had a friend who's like, you'd never say that on the stage. I'm like, oh yeah, I would. I don't give a shit. Because I really never wanted to have the who I am outwardly be different than who I am inwardly. Because then I start to feel like there's a lack of alignment in how I'm representing myself. I mean, all of the things you're saying, I think, are really fascinating because I feel like the, the I feel like I'm still now, although I feel like I've embodied five at some point, I feel like there's more being birthed from me. And so I'm going through another three. I'm going through like where I'm like, oh, the world is really fucked. And I, I have that, you know, it's, the systems are chaotic. And I'm like l- learning deeper layers of like capitalism, systemic racism, patriarchy, where I'm like, you know, my privilege didn't allow me to see previously the deepest, deepest levels of that and also the suffering within that. And so that also correlates that me to we is I'm really feeling that sense of where maybe my purpose was driven from a a we before it's becoming a much more embodied we now. And uh, for you listening, if you're like, why is he talking about himself? Uh, Just so I can at least offer some relation uh, for the people listening of what stages I experience. And I I don't know. I feel like, is that a normal thing to like go back (laughs) to steps maybe that weren't completed? Is that a, a thing? So we're taught in our school system and everything that it's a hierarchy. It's linear. You go from, you know, kindergarten to 12th grade, and then you keep going up this ladder. And that's not the way that consciousness works, right? I think of it more as a spiral. Mm-hmm. You know, a spiral, you have a point of awareness. Maybe you look at your relationship with your childhood, your parents, your your ex, your this, your that. You look at it and you go away and you come back with a deeper perspective and you go away, do other work and you come back from a deeper perspective and you continue to spiral mm. and spiral and deepen and deepen. And that's how life moves. It's not linear. It's that eternal spiral. So even with the concept of your dharma, a lot of times people are like, well, how do I find this purpose? Like, where is it? Where is it? <laughs> I remember for myself, I was like asking everyone I met, I'm like, do you think you know what my purpose is? Like, Imagine you were born naked and that nakedness was you living your purpose. You were born knowing. However, you went through life and someone put a hat on you and a jacket and some gloves and some socks and then some more pants and more layers and more layers and more layers. And then here you are, this big puffy like snowman of a person and you think that's you. Mm. And then as you do the work and you take off the hat, and you unwrap the scarf and you let go and you let go. And that looks like, oh, I'm looking at this limiting belief that I'm not enough or this thing that my dad told me that I'm still holding on to or this guilt I have around what I did in my past relationship. And the more that you take that off, the more you remember who you already are. So it's not binding your purpose as much as it is remembering your purpose. Mm, I love that, that it's the, you don't have to do anything to get to it other than remove all the programming. Which other than, oh, you know, (laughs) scared of all that programming, which as soon as you start to wake up to that, like to the fact that you started to put a hat on and clothes on and all those things, it, it feels as though, and maybe this is just my experience, but it feels as though there's a stage where I have experienced anger for that. 
like that I was taught to be these things that I am not. And I did it. Like I actually signed up, became the definition of masculinity, became the definition of provider, became, you know, all these things that you're like, because I think a lot of the times what I see people about relationally and also with their purpose is they're like, it's too late. I learned it too late. I'm like, no, it's not too late. And so maybe speak for the people who might be at different stages of their lives, maybe further into their careers, maybe deeper in, into that. How do they follow that call? And what's the cost of not following it? Mm. So try this on for size, see how it feels. The obstacles that you've overcome were your soul's unique curriculum to help you embody your purpose. Okay. Yeah, that definitely fits. You know, I would have never realized it without a relational ending, without all the things I've learned. I'd never take any of them back because they've made me better at my craft, but also um, more aligned with who I am. So yeah, I you, like you that. Had to, you had to step into those roles and, and forget who you are so you could go back and remember. Otherwise, you couldn't go on stage and say, hey, I know what it's like to be that douchebag. I know what it's like to make out with... (laughs) I never said douchebag, but yeah, no. (laughs) I know what it's like to make out with 10-year-olds on the dance floor in one night and, you know, the funny stories that you share. But that's what makes it relatable. And that's what allows you to see things from the other perspective as well. You wouldn't be as multifaceted had you not gone through that journey. So each of our souls in Vedic concept, chose our purpose. We chose it. It's why we are here. However, we signed up for this journey to go through the lessons to help us now embody it. So just because you were born with a purpose does not mean you're going to embody it. So for myself, I'm born to share this wisdom, to be a bridge between ancient and modern wisdom and show people that it can be fun and relatable. However, I had to go through my parents disowning me, saying that I was ruining their lives, that they never want to speak to me again because the lesson I had to learn was to live for myself and not for other people's approval. Mm -hmm. So had I not had that experience, I would not have the strength today to show up in the way that I am. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone instantly learns those lessons. Some people need a different level of breakdown to get there, (laughs) right? Yeah. But it's there. And if you keep asking yourself, what is this teaching me? How is this making me a better version of who I meant to be? Then you'll instantly you turn and find that. To think of uh, the deeper level of breakdown that's necessary. And so my heart goes out to anyone listening who's going through that, you know, when we get to that state of loss, that state of suffering, that state of where we're like, why me? You know, that's often... Uh, thought and why does this stuff happen to me and it's hard to see when you're in it what you're supposed to do with it or even to think that there is a purpose within it you know which i think in a lot of ways feels as if we're denying the reality of the humanness of the suffering instead it's yes i'm sorry that that has happened to you and what are we going to do with it like Mm -hmm. how is this going to enhance you or or invite you to step into your soul's purpose which You're right. If you think about it from like a curriculum perspective, like I signed up for this lifetime to be here. I wish I would have just skipped 2020 if I was going to (laughs) put it on the list. Although there's lots of- But it wouldn't have, you know, fueled you in the way that you are to show up in a bigger we. Like we all collectively signed up for this experience. We're here Mm -hmm. for a reason. So what are we going to take from it? And oftentimes it's our greatest obstacles that are our greatest learnings. Now, I totally feel that, you know, being in it. And one thing that I told myself when I was like in the in the downturn, I was like, you know what? This is just the shitty part of my memoir. That's fine. It's the <laughs> shitty part of my memoir. And but I would just tell myself that. Relatable. Exactly. And I didn't know how the memoir would come out, but I knew that one day I would learn from this. And when I had that perspective, I was like, great. It's inevitable that I'm going to move forward. I just don't know what that's going to look like. So sometimes I think of it as mm-hmm. your dharma, your purpose is out in open waters and you're on the beach, you're on the sand. So to get out there, you got to get through the waves. And those waves are your limiting beliefs and your obstacles and your childhood and your society and your money and all, all of these different you know perceived ideas that you have. And the further away you are from your truth, the bigger and gnarlier they are. 
So most of us, we, you know, try to swim out once and then the waves knock us back and we're like, oh, screw it. There must be no, no Dharma out there. There must not be any open waters because all I've experienced are massive crashes. And then we go back to the sand and everyone around us is like, oh, yeah, I tried to, you know, start a band in college, totally failed. Do not follow your dreams. <laughs> and we're just like, rather than trusting that if people keep talking about this thing, that it's possible for them, then it could be possible for me too. And in fact, those very waves are my training. They make me a stronger swimmer. They make me learn how to duck. I'm able to find new tools. You know, maybe you go back, you find a surfboard. Maybe you go back, you find some goggles. These are different tools that you can bring to your toolkit now. So then navigating those waves becomes easier and easier. And then before you know it, you're out into these open waters that you would have never gone through had you not gone through the waves. And you're like, oh, this is the path of least resistance that people are mm -hmm. talking about. This is when they talk about living in flow and following your heart. It's here, but I would have never gone there had I not gone through those waves. So for myself, I would read these spiritual books. It's like, follow the path of least resistance. I'm like, wait, that makes no sense. Because if my mom did that, she would have still been Iran, in Iran, married to an old guy and would have never left her country. Or if a homeless guy did that, then he would have never you know, gotten out of poverty. So how can you say follow the path of least resistance? And then I learned that sometimes to follow the path of least resistance, you first have to follow the path you are the most personally resistant to. And it's following Ooh. that path that will help you then get to the path of least resistance. Oh, that that there has some truth in it. You know, it's got that potency where people are like, ooh, I don't like that. Because then they think about where they have the most resistance, like leaving the relationship, having that conversation, it's just starting to study something that they're passionate about, but, but l letting go of the limiting belief, you know? I think about the analogy of the beach and the ocean and i laugh at the thought of like the majority of us are over consuming mai tais on the beach so that we can ignore the fact that we're not out pursuing our dharma and i i really what you said about the experience of your suffering or or where you're in poor how did you word it about being in relationship to your pain like where your sickness is or your illnesses what was it about yeah that but the yeah, the physical symptoms that you're experiencing are a direct reflection of what is going on deeper within. Mm, and I think about that being how that pain or that experience of suffering is, yes, to wake you up, but also we numb it instead of listening to it. And I'm guilty as, as charged of having done that myself and still sometimes doing it, like not wanting to acknowledge truth that I know exists because I'm hoping it's not true and then leading my life down a path, which of course I recognize it's always at the perfect time, even if you do that, because you get to recognize in hindsight where something was a little off that you didn't want to acknowledge. And so that call to action that you just said of the path that you are most resistant to leads you to a life where you are in a path of least resistance and you must go through that first part. And, and in a way, that's the, the affirmation that you are willing to do the thing. You're willing to reclaim yourself. You're willing. That's the journey home, really. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing about ignoring the truths. The more you ignore it, the louder it becomes. Oh, right. It's so like loud. when you have that ping of, okay, I, I feel like this relationship maybe is coming to an end. And you're like, but it's fine. We got Thanksgiving coming. And then there's Christmas <laughs> and then Valentine's Day. And then, you know, summer. I can't be single during summer. And it just gets louder and louder and louder until you have no choice but to listen. So, a concept that I share in the book is that we were all born on this highway. And at the end of the highway is your Dharma, your fullest expression, who you are meant to be, right? So we're born on this highway, we're driving on cruise control, we're flowing, we're feeling good as a kid. We're like, I'm an artist, I'm an astronaut, I'm this, I'm that. And then society's like, okay, get off this highway, you got to get serious now. <laughs> and you're like, wait, the, the highway? And suddenly you see everyone you know getting off these, these exits eventually, right? The exit could look like, oh, following your dreams is not practical, or you'll make more money doing this, or your parents will be more proud of you, or your community will ostracize you if you don't follow these paths. So you were going down on cruise control, feeling that flow, feeling those synchronicities. And then you see that no one else is on this highway anymore. So maybe there's no, there's no Dharma over there. Maybe you're meant to get off too. 
So that's when we say, you know what, I'm just going to get this this job because it makes money, or I'm just going to, you know, pretend that I'm not a good writer because I just don't know what to do with my book idea or whatever else it is. You get off that exit, and then the universe responds to you: ping, 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 tap, tap, tap. Pay attention. Something feels off, and that's when you maybe feel anxious or just that that feeling that something's energetically off. But then most of us think, oh you know, life's tough, get a helmet, like drink more, medicate more, do more to to numb how you feel. The universe is like, okay, you are not listening. And then punch, 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 (laughs) panic attacks, breakdowns, really bad anxiety, etc. And then you look around, you're like, oh, I guess that's what everyone's experiencing. I guess this is normal. So gonna need more shots, gonna need more medication, gonna need to learn how to pound through this. And we hear that series of unfortunate events. We're set up to think that that's the norm. And then the universe is like, okay, you are still not responding. Collision, like accident, breakdown, something that you have no choice but to listen to. And for some people like Eckhart Tolle, he had to reach that rock bottom point of nearly committing suicide before he did his pivot and you know, then went on to become one of the most prolific writers. So it doesn't mean that you're like, dumb or worse off. Again, different people need to experience different breakdowns. However, most of us are so used to as a society feeling like this, seeing everyone around us just living for Friday, living for happy hour, living for some type of end that they don't even know where it really exists, that we're living in this constant state of agony. So this state of agony is called karma. You know, most of us think karma is what goes around, comes around, but really it means bounded action by the universe. To keep you in alignment with your dharma, it will respond in that frequency. So if you're out of alignment, it will further respond to swing you back into alignment. And then Kriya is that feeling of flow, boundless action by the universe. Kriya. Kriya. K-R-I-Y-A. So that's when you're just meeting the right people at the right time. You're just having like a spark of genius. You're flowing. And that's actually how life was really meant to live, be lived. But most of us have agreed that it's a series of unfortunate events, that it's tough. You got to just self-medicate and self-soothe to get through it, that we're living in this perpetual state of karma when life is meant to be lived in Kriya. I think about that normalization. That is something that's so profound from an awareness perspective to recognize that because what is normalized, we've made that what is right. Or like what is the life I'm supposed to live? Look at all these other people not on the highway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like when before, not now, but before if I met someone who's like, yo, man, I'm just living in a van and cruising through Canada or whatever, or the States or Australia. And I'm like, oh, come on and get a job. You know, it's like that. And I'm, that guy was actually on the highway. He was chilling. He was enjoying. He was on his path to his dharma because, you know, it is about, I remember having the intuitive feeling that I needed to go travel Europe while I was in university. But I didn't do it because I was afraid. I was afraid of not graduating when other people graduate. Even the fact that I went to university, you know, I did an undergrad in finance. I've never touched finance since then unless I had to, other than using my bank account. You know, it's it's so interesting to think how much getting off the highway because it's what everyone's doing. And gosh, if if there's one thing we could, well, there's many things we could do from this episode, but the one thing is to say like, how am I living the life that I was taught to live versus the one that's being called through me? And that usually means leaving things to get back on the highway. And gosh, even society has shamed any form of that. Uh, Shamed going against the common narratives, which we see currently in the media. Uh, But that's true always of the media, of of government. Um, And it doesn't matter which one's right or wrong. I'm not here to talk about that. But the fact that we can't. And the same is true with uh, leaving relationships and all these things. And I'm not saying we need to do a mass exodus of everything that doesn't feel good, but it's more of following the intuitive hits of what am I resisting most? And it could just be a conversation. But mm-hmm. that always, you know, when you look at the the dots, when you connect them looking back, you see how important that one conversation that you're most resistant to was to the transformation of your relationship deepening or breaking. Either way, your workplace, your boundary, your 
like that was the moment where I had my first boundary or the first time I stood up for myself, the first time I claimed my worth, the first time I listened. And this is, I mean, we're getting called out here. This is good. Yeah. And I think where a lot of people get stuck to is like, how do I know if the resistance is because it's not for me, right? Like the law mm -hmm. of attraction, or if it's coming from my own limiting beliefs, right? Because sometimes things don't feel good, but you know, it will help you to do it, right? Like doing your taxes. You can't be like, no, yeah, it doesn't, yeah. doesn't feel good for me anymore. I can't do it. Sorry, government. So I always say tune into the feeling of what feels expansive for you and what feels contractive. So for example, if I know I really want to write a screenplay, like everything within me is telling me to do it, but I'm so daunted. I don't know where to start. It feels overwhelming. I feel like it's too late for me to do it. But the idea of me having a movie out there feels like the most expansive thing then that's my own personal resistance coming up. I know that this is the direction that my Dharma is asking me to step into. Now, if I need to show up for another three months of work and I hate that job, like you mentioned yourself, and the end result is actually just going to make me feel more contractive, then that's something that's not in alignment with your Dharma. So I really like to tune into like the body sense of that. Like, What does expansive feel like for you in your body? Like for you, when I think of, when you think of expansiveness, what does your body want to do? It feels safe. It feels free. It feels enlivened. It feels challenged in a good way though. Um, that like more is being demanded of me. And so I'm not afraid of something that's, I'm afraid that I don't know yet or that I don't have the skill yet, but I know that I need to expand into it in some way. If that makes mm -hmm. sense. Love that. And what are some things that you do in your work, et cetera, that make you feel like that? Uh, conversations, having conversations that are hard on podcasts, uh, doing video, creating content, asking, you know, ask, you know, as opposed to like writing, which we were talking about before we started recording, writing doesn't necessarily, it feels sort of still to me. It doesn't feel, it feels a bit even contractive as where speaking and, and sharing and creating community that feels really expansive to me. Um, and even the idea of going towards that more is scary to me, but also um, expansive. Even the idea of Instagram. I don't love Instagram anymore. It's an energetic, it's feeling energetically contractive in a way. And I'm learning how do I relate to that when a lot of like my well-being, my employees, the people who are family really, that, that we generate income so that we can pay for those things so that we can continue to uh, put out podcasts, all that kind of stuff. That how do I relate to that from an expansive place rather than a contractive place? And I know there's a way to do that. Um, I'm just curious as to, I'm sort of in discovery mode of how does that occur in a way where I don't feel like my work is work. Mm -hmm. I love that. So that's your North Star. That's your compass of moving more towards the speaking, the community, the having challenging conversations. And even if it feels a little scary, you know, it's like further expanding your wings. And then those things that feel contractive to you, like writing or being on Instagram, those are things that are like the South node, like you got to move away from those. Mm -hmm. And if we can tune into that sense all the time, sometimes people are like, how do I access my intuition? How do I know? Tune into your body. Are you feeling expansive? Are you feeling contractive? How can you move more towards what makes you feel expansive? And sometimes like the taxes, that feels probably contractive at the moment, but you know when you're done with it, it's going to make you feel mm -hmm. more expansive. It's a direction you want to move more towards. Or Well, actually, I don't really know when you're done. <laughs> you're like, screw yeah. this. But <laughs> You know that it's something that you get to do that serves you so you can do everything else. If you don't do it, you're going to go to jail. And and that feels like a more contractive option, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so it doesn't mean that like once we're living our dharma, like 100% of the time, we're so enthralled every single moment. But as you further step into it, you step into what feels more in alignment, what feels more expansive. And then the things that feel more contractive, you can begin to hand off, hire an accountant, have someone else take care of those details. Because guess what? Someone else loves taxes. Someone else loves numbers. Like We sometimes are like, how could that be possible? But there is someone that loves everything that you hate to do. Yeah, and so true. That's why the world like is so perfectly balanced because if we all just truly stepped into our dharmas, we would have 
all solutions solved because there is someone that loves to clean and there is someone that loves tech backend and there is someone that loves to organize details just as much as there are people who love to get on a camera and, and not know what they're going to say. So we were actually designed to fulfill all of these roles. So instead of trying to listen to our college guidance counselor, stepping into some role that we are not or what our society tells us to, be the person that you were designed to be and let the world fully come into balance that way. I love that. I love the idea that someone else loves what you hate because we hold on to these things that we have a disdain for because we have to do them. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, whenever you say something like that, people are like, well, I don't love changing diapers, but I have to do it. And it's like, that's different. That's, you know. Yeah. And also, you do you love the result of your child feeling clean and healthy? Like, is that something that's making you feel more expansive, more likely than not changing their diapers? That would probably make you feel like a really shitty parent. So, right. you know, sometimes those challenging conversations and those those things that you don't want to do in the moment you might not want to, but the end result will make you feel more expansive. Yeah. Amen to that. Now, I'm curious as someone steps into their dharma and is maybe already living their dharma, for sure, uh, and they're in partnership and the other person is struggling to find it or struggling in a job that they don't enjoy or uh, you know, is is not in the same place. How do we manage that? Which, yeah, solve that issue, please, for everyone who's <laughs> listening. Yeah, this can be a big challenge in relationship, especially when, you know, at the beginning of a relationship, maybe both people did not really know their dharma and then one person really begins that journey and the other is not. So that person is going through those stages, they're improving themselves, they're knowing themselves and they may feel really alone in the process when their partner is not interested because it's not the partner's time. And you know, this definitely happened to me in my last relationship and was one of the reasons why that ended. So I can't say that it's a always stay together or always end. It's very specific to the relationship. However, what often happens when one person's living their purpose is their energy shifts, the things they're interested in, the way they show up from the time they wake up in the morning to the way that they do their morning routines. All of these things are different. So even for the person who's not shifting, feels like they're living with a stranger all of a sudden. So it can create this bond to your former self that could prevent you from growing because they could say, hey... We used to drink every weekend and it was so much fun for us. Remember those mimosas we would have for brunch and now suddenly you don't want to do those with me anymore? Or remember we would just like binge watch, you know, Game of Thrones every weekend and like I feel like I don't know you. So there could be this feeling of guilt of holding on to the skeleton of who you form- formerly w- were. So even if that partner is not wanting to make that shift for themselves, they must respect, honor and give you the space to do so. If they're like, hey, I'm really jazzed up that you have found this great purpose or this desire to, I haven't yet, but I understand why commitments and priorities may change. Then it could totally work. But if this partner is saying, you're not the person I signed up for, you're a stranger to me now, and it's holding you back from living your purpose because you feel guilty about shifting, then that's one of those things I mentioned in the stage five that you got to look at and let go of because it's going to prevent you from living in alignment with your dharma. And truthfully, anyone who is living their dharma, if you ask them about their relationships, it has to serve their dharma. If it doesn't, it won't work because your greatest responsibility on this planet and the real reason why you're here is your purpose, is your dharma. So if your relationship is holding you back from it, your dharma is only going to grow that far. And then it's forever going to be this, you're holding me back. I could have been this. And because of you, I held myself back. And now I don't even know who I really am. And that's going to create resentment, which will cause you to break up then. So an ideal situation is both partners are on that journey together. Maybe they're in different stages or different involvements, but they're both understanding what that what that is like. And if not, at least the partner is supportive of the other person's journey. Yeah, whenever one person navigates more towards truth, more towards alignment, it is inviting the relationship and the other person towards the same. And I I think a lot of the times when one person is growing and they might, as you said, not be into getting smashed on the weekend anymore and not be into certain things that we used to do, it, that is the there might be a lot of resistance to the change. 
but it's often that same resistance to actually stepping fully, getting back on the highway, stepping fully into our own dharma. It's like we're being reminded that we haven't chosen ourselves through their choosing of themselves. And so we would rather us both go back into self-abandonment than step into freedom. And gosh, relationships in that first stage when one person wakes up, because it's usually one first, uh, they are both being invited to. And the relationship is so much more deepened when it's from that authentic space where it isn't a, a, a container that holds you in. It's actually a container that facilitates the transformation. It's a container that keeps expanding, a vehicle that actually deepens your knowing of yourself. And I, I mean, you and I have spoken about this before, that like through relationship, you are mirrored so many of the things that you need to get better at that do facilitate your dharma because they're inviting you to be a better human being, to get into alignment with the integrity of who you are in terms of how you communicate even with kindness, generosity, with boundaries, that your dharma feels protected and so does the sacred connection of the relationship. Mm -hmm. And the question you asked me, like, did you feel like you had to like minimize or hide yourself. I think you mentioned something about that with in relation to my parents. Well, often we do that with our partners. When we are shifting, we feel like I can't show how bright and shiny I've become because my partner is going to get resentful of it. So we might have like, we go out in public and we're this like confident person, we're living our truth and then come back home and just like suddenly put this like Casper thing on because we don't feel comfortable being as bright as we can. And if you're coming home and you're having to dim your light, then something is off. And that's going to get you, you know, your home is where you're incubating your energy. It's where you're spending your time. And if you have to basically be a shell of yourself at home, which is where you're spending the majority of your time, how are you going to go out there and impact lives when you're not even used to operating at your fullest expression? Yeah, you you must transform the place that you're incubating into a place that gives you energy rather than takes it away. And I think that really speaks to the facade of this idea of work-life balance too, you know, that that your work is, uh, that that one takes away from the other rather than the idea that there's no difference. Your work is part of your life. They're all part of your whole experience. And the question is always, are are one or both of them giving or taking away energy from you? And the invitation you're asking of us is to, is to pay attention to that, just to like begin, you know, even if that thought is a bit scary, just to touch it first to be like, ooh, maybe I'm not actually happy with what I'm doing or where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And I think that work-life balance, like whoever set it up was probably coming from a more corporate place. It was like, okay, work-life balance is you're only working from nine to like 6 p.m. And then you're like, you cannot talk about work or else you're a workaholic. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Very clear boundaries that make sense when you're in corporate. But right now, especially with everyone working online and having these different roles, it requires us to look at it in a different way. And it doesn't like for someone who's especially really just stepping into their dharma, they may be so obsessed with learning about this thing. They <laughs> want to stay up at night learning about it. You know, I yeah. met for you when you were reading relationship theories, etc. It was like, I want to be all in on this, but someone who may not have felt that level of passion towards something could be like, oh my God, Mark, all you freaking do is work. All you do is watch and study and feel resentful because they haven't found something that they're as passionate about. So that's why often entrepreneurial people tend to be in partnership and people who are not, but it's not always the case. And it does require understanding that if someone's on this journey and so excited about what it is they're doing, like for me, when I'm writing a book or for my husband, when he's like working on a song, I'm not going to hold those same requirements of like, this is what work-life balance looks like. This is what everything needs to be while still knowing that we're allowed to have other, you know, other hobbies and experiences, et cetera. But I think we often shame ourselves and we don't fully step into something when we're like, oh shit, I'm not allowed to do this after a certain time. So it's giving that person some leeway if you are the one who doesn't have that great passion yet to understand that maybe they're feeling really guilty about showing up really passionate about something. Yeah, I could see that. And I'm, I, I think we're in such a perfect time too of, I know that sounds, I don't want it to minimize the suffering of the time, uh, but when we recognize that we didn't think we could work from home, we didn't think we could do this. We didn't, you know, we have so many 
things we didn't envision occurring that are occurring now. And so in one way, it shows you that everything you didn't think was possible is possible. And that's occurred in a negative context in some ways. But also that shows you that what you might think is possible in terms of what you want to do with your life, how you want to live your life. I mean, if there's one thing that's consistently true about economic downturns and stresses is that they are the birthplace of uh, innovation, of new businesses. And I don't know that they'll ever be, at least in the most recent history, a better time to give birth to those things to start now to just say, like, what do we have to lose? We have nothing to lose but ourselves, but the life we actually hope to live. Mm, yes. And seeing it all as, again, an obstacle that makes you able to redirect. I see this year decisions that could have taken you five or 10 years to make were like catapulted into this one year. Like so many people moved, ended Horses, relationships, began yeah. relationships, so many things that you, probably you felt something was off, but you could have probably lived with it much longer. This year was like a speed track way. And I think it's going to continue to be like this. And with every obstacle, there's an opportunity there. You know, my husband works in the music industry. Like all music festivals are shut down. Like for, we don't even know when they're going to be open again. And that's that's a huge obstacle. And that's was so difficult for him. He had 15 employees in his company. He had to lay them all off, shut down their office, lost his company that he built. And the opportunity was his passion was actually to be more in the production, not in the management. So now he's taking this time to redefine, actually get back to what it is, the real reason that he entered music, which was to make the music himself. So even with something as big of a loss of a company comes the opportunity to further redirect towards your dharma. It's beautiful. It's always an invitation mm -hmm. if we pay attention, if we're willing to look at it that way. Yes. I always say every... Every moment is an initiation into your highest self. Yeah, which I, I always want to reiterate for people listening that that doesn't mean dismissing the pain or the suffering of the experience. That is the invitation, mm -hmm. you know, because, you know, it's like when you're going through something and they're like, yeah, you're going to learn so much from this. You're like, you're going through a breakup and they're like, it's for the best. And you're like, fuck off. You know, you're not ready to hear that right. or you need to feel the feelings and feel the pain and, and feel all of it. If you don't, it's just going to come back through some other way. And you get to choose your story. You get to choose, was this the worst moment of my life and I never bounced back? Or was this the shitty part of my memoir? You get to choose that story. <laughs> the shitty part of my memoir. So <laughs> was this the birth of everything? And that's yeah. why I love, which sounds so weird, but I love breakups for that perspective is that they are an energetic, you can take the fuel of that fire and become the greatest version of yourself through that. And which is the same of any loss, any, any uh, rock bottom, you know, but we don't have to wait till we have to, we can choose to, but I have definitely been a tough learner. I've had to get to the have to quite a few times. And that's, and that's what we learn as we're able to feel the, feel the little off balances a little bit more quickly that we don't have to get to the like years and years off the highway and the smashes on our head to finally make the shift. We can feel, okay, I'm feeling a little contractive. I'm feeling more anxious than usual. I'm feeling something is off and make the shift when it's this like kind of intangible feeling and trusting that before it has to become something so colossal. Hmm. Well, speaking of colossal, thank you for being colossal today. Thank you for welcoming us or inviting us back into our fullest selves, into our fullest expression. So uh, for the people listening, where do they get the book? Where do they find more of you? Yeah, so you can get the book globally and you can find all of the links on IamSahararose.com slash Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A. And you can submit your receipt there and I have epic bonuses for you, meditation, tapping practices, embodiment practice, and so much more. And I have a quiz you can take, the dharmaarchetypequiz.com. And in that quiz, you're able to see what are your top two archetypes in relation to your dharma and take further action. My Instagram is I am Sahar Rose. I also have a podcast as well on spirituality called Highest Self Podcast, which you've been on. And yeah, let me know okay. what what you got from this episode. Shoot us a story on Instagram, tag us. We'd love to hear more from you guys. And thank you for having me, Mark.
Oh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for making this work, this experience not feel like work, make it, making it fun. You make everything so fun and relatable and bring concepts like Ayurveda and Dharma into uh, a world where people might not have heard it before. And I think it serves such a great, it's such a great vehicle and way of figuring out how to get on your life's path. And also I know in the work that you did, that you have done on Ayurveda, it's beautiful to look at how that correlates. We did a previous episode on that. So for people listening, they need to check that out. Mm, Well, thank you so much. And I hope that this reminds people that it is too possible for them. You know, I never even thought I had a purpose. And to think of all the people listening to this who are going to like go out there, do the thing and really raise the vibration of the planet right now at this time that we need it the most. So I'm excited. Hit us up if you're listening to this like 10 years later, you're like, I created the next Uber. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. the episode. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, give us some equity actually, please. <laughs> it was awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having me. 